Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Uh, Last year I wrote a book called Happy Mum, Happy Baby and once that was published I just wanted the conversation to continue. So last series I invited a lot of friends along to talk about their experiences of being a mum and dad, Tom was involved, and this series is back and we're doing the same thing. In the book I talk about miscarriage, it's kind of where I start the book to be honest because I felt like it was a massive part of my journey. At first actually when I started writing I wanted to write it down and have it there and know that I could edit it out afterwards because it's something I hadn't really talked about before that. As a result, I started getting involved with a charity called Tommy's and actually I'm going to be hosting the Tommy's Awards again this week. So I thought this week the episode should be based around baby loss and it's a subject that none of us really want to talk about, none of us want to even have it enter our heads really. It's something that we don't want to even be faced with but it's a part of life and it happens and 
And so I've invited two ladies who unfortunately know this area of life far more than I do and and are equipped to talk about their experiences and stuff. They blog about it in the most beautiful way. So I wanted to talk to Elle Wright and Michelle Cottle about Teddy and Orla, their babies and their experiences. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you for having us. Not at all. It's a bit of a shift, this one, on the podcast. And, and I know, like me saying it's a difficult subject, you ladies are so used to it being called that. And, and I imagine that before, you know, your experiences with Teddy and all that, when the subject arised of miscarriage or stillbirth or anything like that, how did you handle those conversations before? I mean, I don't know if I did have those before. I mean, I'd had an early loss before all or I'd had an ectopic pregnancy so I kind of knew about early losses didn't really talk about them though because I didn't Mm. I didn't really talk to anyone after that happened but I think for me I suppose the issue is that we don't talk about those things so when Orla died I just felt like I was completely on my own I, I honestly didn't know that babies could die at full term in a healthy pregnancy I, I just didn't have those conversations I think I'm exactly the same I would yeah. say yeah a couple of my friends had had miscarriages and spoken about them very briefly. They were early miscarriages mm-hmm. and I guess maybe they'd kind of dealt with them very well and been of the sort of school of, oh, you know, it wasn't meant to be and and brushed it off and, you know, maybe they were hugely upset but didn't want to appear so. So I kind of went with how they were feeling and, and was guided by them on it. But I was exactly the same. As soon as I was pregnant with Teddy and as soon as you know I was obviously pregnant Mm. I just assumed that 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 was it you know as we all do you're pregnant and you're going to bring your baby home with you so for me and Michelle I don't think we realized it was a a thing until it was too late and it happened to us and we were in it. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about your pregnancies and and your births and what happened after that really so I don't know Elle do you want to kick off? It's actually quite funny because Michelle and I were pregnant at the same time. Obviously, we didn't know each other. So I found out I was pregnant with Teddy. I didn't know I was having a little boy until he was born. But I found out I was pregnant in September 2015. Had a healthy pregnancy. I was working full time. I was working in London. I was working in sales. I was in and out of meetings and up and down off the tube and all perfectly normal and fine decided because my job was like that that I would take a little bit more time before baby arrived just mm-hmm. to kind of stop mainly because my car was so low I couldn't get in and out <laughs> of it at that point uh, I was kind of rolling out onto the pavement and so I thought you know it's probably time to slow down and yeah. stop so I had about six weeks off I think before Teddy was born which was really good because I just went into nesting overdrive yeah. and did all of those things, cleaned all the unnecessary things. And I was actually induced at 39 plus three days, right. so I was full term. Um, but I woke up one Sunday morning and um, my waters were leaking. Of course, I didn't know. I thought I'd completely lost control of my faculties <laughs> once and for all. I mean, it hadn't been that far off. The baby had been trampolining on, on my bladder. So I thought, well, this is it. So I called my mum, as we all do in that in that situation, And she said, well, maybe you should go to the hospital. Went to the hospital, was monitored, you know, for the rest of that day. And I'd said that baby's movements had slowed down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And But then, miraculously, we were in hospital and he starts, you know, trying to break out. (laughs) And we were told to come back that evening because my waters were leaking. And they said, yeah, risk of infection is too high. Baby needs to come out into the world. Um, So they started the induction process on the Sunday night. So that was the 15th of May. And he was born the following day Mm -hmm. after natural labour. 
lots of huffing and puffing and gas in there and and um you've seen the photos you look glorious <laughs> you do you do you look so elegant there is one photo that will never ever be seen um on instagram or it's a photo that my husband took in the sort of the last moments when i'm leaning over a bed and it's just the look of my face and i and i'm not looking i just look like a desperate woman um and i did i felt desperate in that moment i think as we all do and then there's that moment of release and relief isn't there where you're like thank god yeah and Teddy was born, uh, found out he was a boy, and something wasn't quite right straight away. He was um, he was really quiet, and mm. his eyes were closed. And I, I don't know, I guess I'd watch too much One Born Every Minute. And to yeah. me, a baby's supposed to come out and, ah, you know, all hell breaks loose. Mm. And I sort of remember sensing the quiet in the room, like the deafening quiet. And one of the midwives said, oh... Dad, do you want to cut the cord? Um, we're just going to take we're just going to take baby away, and and with that, hastily, my husband cut Teddy's cord, and they sort of disappeared out the room with him. Out the room, yeah. So I'm thinking, what the hell? What the hell is going on? And after about twenty minutes or so, which obviously felt like a lifetime, yeah. and I'd you know delivered placenta and was back up on the bed being sorted out down there, yeah. shall we say? <laughs> and um, this smiling consultant comes back in. Bundle, bundle of baby and towels and everything's fine and you know he just needed a rub down with a towel and a bit of oxygen and he's fine and my husband's saying to me he's fine he's fine it's all okay and you know we told our families and everything happy memories loads of happy memories as I'm sure you have mm-hmm. from your two boys facetimed my mum with baby and then because it was the evening they said you know we need to get you back down to a ward but because he was born with a few difficulties we're, we're going to put you on a ward where he'll be monitored a little bit more through okay. the night which for me was okay yeah fine of course that that makes sense so that was sort of late evening and she woke me up initially, the midwife, I guess I'd been sort of snoozing, Nico was with me, my husband was with me, about an hour after um, we tried to go to sleep. I was exhausted because I'd been awake for like two days at this point. And she just said, Teddy's, or baby, we hadn't named him by that point, baby's really cold, can you just give him a cuddle? And I thought, yeah, that's fine, babies can't regulate their own body temperature yet. Gave him a cuddle and then she came back and checked and said, yeah, you can put him put him back in and and then the next time that she woke me up at that midwife was about an hour later and she was shaking my shoulder to the point where she was she was lifting me off the bed to wake me up and all I ever remember her saying is he's really cold I've got to take him And it doesn't matter how many times I tell this story it just gets me every time because I think and I'm sure Michelle will agree, when when you think about it again, you play it back in your head. Yeah. It's like with anything, you know, traumatic, you play it back in your head. And I guess the, out, the, the standout memory for me was as she lifted Teddy up, his arms flopped down by his side. And I think I knew in that second something was really wrong. And she ran away with him and curtains were pulled around us and a midwife came in and was sort of rubbing my arm and it's okay, he's with the doctors, it's, it's okay, he's going to be okay, it's, mm. you know, not to worry, he's in the best place. About half an hour passed and we were taken to another room when a consultant came in to talk to us and he sort of crouched down in front of us to talk to us and I thought, oh, fuck. You know, this is, this is not good news and... 
in my head, you know, the worst had already happened. But then he said, your little boy's really poorly. So I was thinking, he's not dead. He's not dead. That's all I remember thinking. But they said, well, you know, we can't look after him here because he had been revived for 18 minutes by the time they got him back. Um, And obviously with a tiny little body like that. um, And he said, I don't know how long he wasn't breathing before we got to him. And I don't know what damage has been done. So the following morning, he was transferred from the Skaboo units, which was at that hospital, Royal Surrey, where he was born, which is a special care baby unit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until Teddy was born, because why would I? Yeah. And he was taken to Ashford and St Peter's Hospital in Chertsey, which has a NICU unit, which is a neonatal intensive care. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I didn't know what any of they were just acronyms. They were just sounds to me. I, I knew nothing in that moment. He was there for three days before the consultants who were caring for him all agreed, as did other consultants at Great Ormond Street and and other places they consulted with, that there wasn't anything that they could do for him. Mm. And he would say he was there for three days until they withdrew his life support. But they did that away from the units in a room with me and my husband and we you know we were flanked by our parents and my sister-in-law and her husband and every single doctor and nurse who'd had anything to do with his care was there and they let us do it in a really nice way yeah. they let us you know hold him and we read him a story because I'd be leaning over his crib reading him stories probably annoying the hell out of him <laughs> but the whole time he was there trying to will him to wake up and we read him Guess How Much I Love You, which is not a book I've ever read since, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, and he he just, yeah, they took all his what he didn't have in his wires or anything like that, or any of the things that he'd had on him these past few days. And he just looked like a little normal baby, like a beautiful baby. And he just looked like he went to sleep. It's so lovely that you have those special moments with him, you know. Yeah, and I do feel so so fortunate, and I know I always say this to Michelle because our experiences are, are so different. Mm-hmm. And I have those really fiercely happy moments, those, oh, my God, I'm bursting with pride, this is the, the best moment of my life, like you do when your first-born yeah. child arrives. And then I have the, uh, the other end of the, of the scale. So I never really share the pictures of Teddy when he was in the NICU unit. I only have a, a few. All the ones I share are the ones from the day that he was born, when everything was fine. And actually, you you found Michelle a few weeks later. I, you know, little, did, you, did you know that Michelle was going through, you know, your, your situation just a few weeks before? And you yeah. started blogging about it. Pretty much. Not that long after. Not that long after. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Cause, uh, it's so weird listening to you sort of tell the early story of your pregnancy because actually we were almost living kind of parallel lives and didn't know each other. I mean, mm. we fell pregnant at I mean, literally the same time. Yeah. I found out I was pregnant in September as well and, and both of our babies were born in May. So, yeah, our, and both working in London and, um, yeah, our stories were very similar up until, I guess, the point that... 
well, my story is slightly different with Orla because she mm. was she was stillborn, so she died before she was born. I mean, I think yeah, I was thirty seven weeks pregnant, so just a little bit. Had you suspected anything? No, I mean, I'd had like I look back at it with such. Uh, we talk about happy memories. I actually look back at my time being pregnant with Orla, and I'm. Those few months, I, I can honestly say I was just blissfully happy. I'm probably one of those annoying people that really enjoys being pregnant. <laughs> um, I mean, I do get the bloat and you know all of that stuff, but I, I really, really was just so happy and everything was fine. And in fact, at the hospital I'm at in South London, they actually give you scans at 36 weeks as standard. So I'd had that scan on the Tuesday and everything was fine everything was fine and they're very thorough at my hospital like they're a research hospital so everything was absolutely fine that was the Tuesday and then by the weekend like you know I was still at work weekend came I was kind of feeling a bit weird like I didn't there wasn't anything in particular I just didn't feel right Mm. and I think that's something I'd always say to someone just trust your gut instinct if you don't feel right if it doesn't matter if there's no specific symptom if you don't feel right just go and speak to someone but I don't know I just kind of thought well I'm coming to the end of pregnancy I'm big I'm heavy and you know maybe this is just what happens you're slowing down and and actually, now I understand a lot more about movements, but probably on reflection, I think Orla was probably moving less mm-hmm. that weekend. But it got to Sunday, and that was the day that I turned 37 weeks. So I was full term, and it's this, you know, milestone to get to. And um, and I was like, do you know what, actually, I, d- I don't feel right. I really, I need to go and speak to someone about this. And obviously it's Sunday night. So I ended up just going into hospital to the labour ward and just saying, I, I don't know, I, something doesn't feel like it's right. And did they listen? They did, yeah. They were very good. Like, I'd, I'd phoned my midwife beforehand and she was like, yep, go up. Go up to hospital. They'll just, they'll put you on the monitor. They'll, you'll be on there for half an hour and then you'll be back home. And it was, I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that's what's going to happen. I'm just going to go up there. I'll be monitored and I'll come back home. It's funny because that day was the day that I'd allowed myself to wash all of all his clothes or we didn't know we were having a girl like that um so they were all, I remember doing all the washing that day and laying out all of her clothes on the clothes horse to dry and then we went off to hospital and um and they, they you know they sort of took us in and I just remember sort of being taken into the, the triage room laying down on the bed and the midwife coming in and trying to listen in with the I think probably I think the first time with a handheld Doppler and she was sort of moving around and couldn't pick something up and I could feel I could feel my anxiety building and kind of going okay she's struggling to find something here that something's not right and then she wheeled in the other machine the um the CTG machine and was starting to listen around with that and and I could hear I could hear what she could hear because you know it's quite loud isn't it? those yeah. machines are kind of woof, woof, woof. and I could hear that that she was picking up my heartbeat but that sounds very different from a baby's because a baby's is is a lot quicker and I could tell that she was struggling again so she went off and she brought in the doctor and the doctor wheeled in um, one of the portable ultrasound machines and started scanning and I was laying on the bed and the doctor was was by my feet and she had the machine and Andy was sat the other side actually he he couldn't see the machine couldn't see the, the monitor and I remember her going round with the the wand and looking round. And I just remember looking over at that screen and knowing that what I was seeing 
is not what I should have been seeing because it was it was just still like I could see I could see my baby in there and I could see that my baby wasn't moving and I could see that where there should be a thumping heart there was nothing but stillness um and I remember in that moment thinking I can't look at this anymore so I turned and looked at the wall and just kind of thought oh my god I think I think my life is just about to collapse around my ears and the doctor turned off the screen and put her hand on my leg and said, I'm really sorry. And I, in that moment, I just knew. And she didn't... Uh, I'm pretty sure she didn't have to say there's no heartbeat because she knew that I knew and I knew what she had seen. I know that Andy hadn't. And I know, I think, I can't I can't remember exactly whether it was me or the doctor or someone had to say, this is what's happened to you. I mean, your baby has died. And then it all, I don't know, it all sort of happened very quickly then. Suddenly the room was full of people. There was doctors and midwives and um, and I'm just laying there thinking, oh my goodness, like this, this cannot be happening. And suddenly they're just all talking about delivery and birth and you're going to have to be induced, you're going to have to have this baby now. And that's something that people, I think, really don't know. I mean, I've had a couple of friends who have gone through it and I had no idea that actually if if something like that happens during pregnancy that you still have to give birth. I had no idea that that was the case. No, and I think at that moment you just think, how how on earth do you expect me to do that? Like, is this some kind of sick joke? Like, seriously, is this a sick joke that you're going to expect me to... So I actually have to give birth now. I mean, I can I can look at it from two sides now. I can see the person that I was then sat there going, no, 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 you can't make me do this. Please just put me to sleep. Put me to sleep and just, you know, give me a C-section. You know, take take my baby out. I can't do this. I don't have the strength to do this. And, you know, they're sort of saying things like, well, it's best for you and if you want to have more babies. And I'm like, I, I, in this moment, I can't think about that. I want this baby. I want you to somehow make this baby alive. Like how how can you expect me to go through this? Do you think emotionally and mentally, it's it's also advised to do it that way because it, there's a feeling of you bringing that baby into the world? And I think I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I, I definitely I know of people who have had to have C-sections in in mm. those circumstances because actually their baby's in a position that they can't give yeah. birth to them. So, And I wouldn't say that their experience is less cathartic, val- you know, yeah, valid, yeah. important. I think I think it is based on... I think it needs to be based on what's right yeah. for mum and baby in that, um, in that situation. For me, looking back, I, I can't tell you how proud I am that I gave birth to Orla. And I think I think probably I would have felt like that however I gave mm-hmm. birth to her. But I'm so proud because that was one of the hardest, most torturous emotionally, mentally experiences that I had to go through. Yeah, it was yeah, it's it's hard work giving birth to a baby that's already gone. Um you have to do all the work, the baby can't help you. Yeah. But you just don't know, like I mean I didn't know what my baby was going to look like like would she look like a a normal baby like would what would happen and actually you know she did and you know she was a beautiful baby she she was fully formed and there's nothing wrong with her and 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 I guess that's the the really difficult thing is knowing that there was nothing wrong with her or with me but no I think now I'm able to kind of go I'm really glad that I gave birth to her and it's probably the best thing I ever did and I'll always always be proud of that but 
I don't know. It's a, there's a big debate, isn't there, at the moment about sort of elective C-sections and you know, giving birth, I say naturally, in inverted commas, because, yeah. you know, all birth is natural, however mm-hmm. you do it. And I wonder whether the shift in that with people going through live baby labours will kind of transpose onto babies that have already passed and whether people will have more choice. I don't know, because I think in that moment, I probably would have said, put me to sleep. Yeah. I mean, put me to sleep and don't ever wake me up. That's the reality. I didn't want to. I didn't want to continue living. How could I? And my baby had just died, and everything had crumbled around me. In the, that time following both Teddy and Ola's births, what do you do? Like, what what happened in those first few hours and those days? Because obviously, you've got people who want to hear from you, are expecting that news? Like, how do you actually go about handling that? Do you? Do you just shut the door and don't even think about it? <sighs> it's so difficult. And I think <sighs> it's just when what should be the happiest news turns into the saddest. It's like everything we're expecting flips upside down and becomes the polar opposite to what it should be and that's you know birth turning into death it is exactly that isn't it and I think our human reaction to that is like Michelle said I, I, I cannot carry on this is this is not happening this is absolutely the universe playing some sort of horrible trick on me and it's all gonna be fine and I'm gonna wake up and it's gonna be over and I remember this the car journey that we had home from the hospital where luckily my brother-in-law had gone down to the car and sort of hidden the car seat, you know, that we'd put in the car expecting to bring a baby home and he'd done all of that so that we could just get back into our car and drive home and my husband drove us home and it was like a 40-minute drive. And I just remember sitting there in silence thinking shit, this is my new reality. What the hell has just happened? And, you know, we went home that evening. My parents came back with us and my mum said, you should go to bed, you need to rest. I said, I can't sleep. I can't, what, what, we've just come home from hospital and my son's died and well, let's all go to bed. And I just, I didn't even know where to start. I, mm. I just saw this expanse of nothingness out in front of me. And the thought of talking to anyone or telling my friends what had happened because Teddy had been in hospital for a few days obviously we dropped off the radar so a lot of my friends already knew he'd been born and knew he was in hospital and knew he was very poorly so the night that he died I text one of my best friends Zoe and I just said this is what's happened I'm gonna need you to tell everyone I'm gonna need you to to tell everyone because I can't say it and, you know, it's times like that I think you really value. I mean, I just became so appreciative of how awesome my friends were. And she, I don't think there was anyone she didn't let know, you know. She covered all bases and she made sure. She even went into, like, my old workplace who I was still, because she was close by to those guys. And I used to work in a hotel in a spa and... She went into the hotel that was down the road from her house to tell the guys who owned the hotel, who'd come to my wedding, who, you know, really good friends with, to tell them because she didn't want anybody, you know, to to come across me and, and ask if the baby had been born. She, I think she played out every scenario in her head and 
and we just shut ourselves off from the world for I don't know a few weeks it feels like weeks and I I couldn't leave the house I couldn't I was utterly broken I couldn't sit up in bed in the morning I was everything I had to you know swing my legs around to the side of the bed and actually get up and do life and I know Michelle and I have had that conversation before mm. couldn't sleep couldn't you know all those normal functions <laughs> that you wanted living I couldn't do it mm. I guess as well because of those nine months you're kind of gearing towards that moment yeah. And then suddenly that moment is so far removed from what you thought it was going to be. The world continues around you. I did, um, when I was pregnant, I, I did NCT classes. I did hypnobirthing. I did yoga sort of, you know, a couple of times a week. I'd made all these local friends, all these mums that we were all pregnant at the same time. I know that a couple of the NCT babies were born the same weekend that I went into hospital. And... That was really hard because I just felt I felt suffocated by the world continuing around me. I'd gone to all this effort to set up a life for myself, I guess, that I thought I was going to have, which was going to be maternity leave, coffees, walks in the park with my baby in the pram. And that continued for everyone else and it didn't for me. And I just, I remember going out, leaving the house and walking, always with Andy. Like, I, I really struggled to leave the house by myself for a while, actually. Like, I, I just, everything became very scary. The world became a very scary place. And seeing people in the distance that I knew, that I'd met through various different classes and literally crumbling and running back home and hiding at home and not leaving the house. I remember one particular incident, sort of almost bumping into someone and she was pushing her pram with her husband. And I, I honestly thought, oh my God, if I have to speak to her, I think I might I might just die on the spot. I just, I don't know how I'm going to cope with this. And I just went home and sobbed and sobbed and didn't leave the house again for days. And it's just this kind of, it's just a, such a surreal thing to happen that the world does continue and other people continue to have healthy babies and can be happy and yours just ends and it's something that you just cannot put into words that mm-hmm. it's so visceral it's so all consuming it oh just becomes your it become that moment just becomes your entire life and yeah i think there is a point isn't there where you, like you just said you you look out the window and you and I remember sitting in bed and looking out the window and seeing all the light come through the shutters I could hear the builders shouting on the roof opposite I could hear people walking to work and you know Teddy had died a few days ago and I remember thinking nobody has a clue nobody in the outside world has a clue what's just happened to mm. us why would they mm. life keeps going the world keeps turning and and it was kind of like this lightning bolt moment where I thought you know you you can either choose to participate in life or you can curl up in a ball in the corner and, and th- th- that is your a, a, a mm. choice, aren't you? That That is your choice. Yeah. And everybody always says, and I know that we both get this, you're so brave, you're so brave, you're so, you, you're, you've been so brave. I don't think I'm brave at all. I don't, you know, I love Michelle, but I don't think she's brave, you know. I think, I think, you know, but, but I think she would agree. It's yeah. not, it's not me being, 
we're not brave. We, it's like anything with life. You get faced with something that you weren't expecting and you kind of take a moment and you swallow and you go, right, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And I think losing uh, your child, losing a baby, although it's like the highest point of utter shit on the scale, it's no different. There comes a point where you say, okay, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to move forward from this? Because I cannot stay in my bedroom forever with the shutters mm. closed crying. There has to come a point, you know, and whether that is walking down the street and taking a different path than you used to so that you don't bump into people. Mm. I started shopping at a different supermarket really? because I was too scared for the women on the tills who'd spoken to me the whole time that I was pregnant oh not long to go now then you know chit chat they all do it I didn't want to have that conversation with a complete stranger small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You find strategies, don't you? Like I, I mean, obviously both, both our babies were born in May, so it was a, a really nice sunny time. I actually felt like the weather was mocking me. I wanted it to be Taunting, dark yeah. and miserable and cold and it wasn't yeah it wasn't it was sunny and the blossom was out and I just felt like I felt like I had to go out but I didn't want to it was it was really I find the change in season very difficult and actually although I love this change into spring it brings up quite a lot of difficult memories really but yeah I, I would do things like I'd go out without contact lenses in so the world was quite blurry I couldn't really see people very far in the in the distance until they were up close and then I could just pretend I didn't see them I'd wear sunglasses and which was socially acceptable I guess in that about <laughs> the weather um you know when it's sunny it's okay to, to kind of wear glasses and those sorts of things I would do just so that I was taking it was taking those baby steps of like mm. going out and dipping your toe in the world again but still feeling utterly broken and yeah I think those first things you just you do whatever you can shop in different supermarkets walk go out at night we we would go out actually at night Andy and I and walk around the streets at night because I didn't want to bump into anyone who I'd bumped into while I was pregnant we and also you just think oh well you know people who've maybe had babies they're going to be they're safe they're going to be at home like I'm less likely to bump into babies at night your whole world becomes like navigating just trying to protect yourself because you're so fragile that you do anything you can to kind of wrap yourself in some kind of bubble wrap and keep yourself safe. Avoid certain situations, yeah, create ones where, yeah, it's just a 
a permanent sort of time continuum of of trying to find a new normal, I guess. And it's everything. It's not... It's everything. It permeates every aspect of your life. It's not... Things that you don't even think about. Yeah. Nowhere's, it feels like nowhere's safe. Oh, it's everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. It's on the TV, it's adverts, it's in magazines that you would have had lying around the house. It's, yeah. You know, in, on buses that go... But you don't know yeah. where those little things that are going to... Yeah. And when you're expecting a baby... Oh, I don't know if you guys both found this, but when I was expecting Teddy, particularly as I sort of came towards the end of the pregnancy and, you know, I was on maternity leave, everything changed. You know, my hobbies and, and interests changed. My Instagram feed changed. I yeah. was Definitely. following mother care and all those kind of things. And suddenly, you know, all the people that I was following on Instagram that kind of changed and it was I was going to be a mum and it was all going to be lovely and it was spring and I was going to be again walking around Blossomfield Parks with my new baby and and you just get this sense that you've been well and truly unceremoniously booted out of the club brutally and that's what it feels like you see all these other women with prams and you think no why that that was me I was at the door I put my coat on the rail I was in and then I uh, know and it just it's so true I remember because it, yeah it's just it felt like everywhere there were people pushing prams and I do remember we were driving back from the funeral home one day we went there to visit all of actually every day that she was there I just felt like I needed to kind of consume every moment I could with her and um getting stuck at the traffic lights next to the park where near where we live and it just being full of mums pushing prams and I just remember turning to Andy and going will I ever be one of those will will that ever be my life because it feels so far away right now and yeah you just suddenly feel you feel like you're not part of that club and then you also feel that people who are in that club are scared of you like I think I was terrified of how I'd respond to people if I bumped into them, but also how they'd respond to me. And I remember having this horrible situation. I went, this was weeks later, I managed to go to a local cafe to meet my yoga teacher who has become a very, very good friend. Like she, she's just awesome, absolutely awesome. And she was just came around and held my hand, you know, in those kind of early weeks. And I was kind of brave enough to go out and meet her for a coffee and someone who was from my yoga class who was weeks behind me in pregnancy turned up and she was I think she was overdue by that point so she's heavily pregnant and I saw her and she saw me and I saw in her face what I feared was that she was she was scared to see me and you feel like such an outcast and like you just feel really ashamed that someone could look at you and you can see the terror in their face that they're like oh my god what what do I do what do I say and she couldn't get away fast enough and in some ways I was glad because I, I was like oh please get your lovely, lovely yeah, <laughs> get your lovely beautiful bump away because I just I can't I'm so jealous I'm so jealous of where you are I'm so envious and I feel so broken by the fact that I don't I don't have my bump anymore and I don't have a baby. But it also just felt it just felt horrendous. It was everything that I had feared. I remember the Instagram post I put up that day or the day after, and I was just 
in bits because I was just like, I miss the old me. Mm. I want to be me again, who was in that club, who was accepted in that club and was happy. And I don't want to be the person that I am right now. I don't want to be broken. I don't want to be the one who is scared of the world because the world seems to be pregnant or has a baby. And I found that very, very hard, this kind of you're in the club and then you're not. It's the way that people look at you that I just... Yeah. We always joke about the sympathetic head tilt. Oh, no, I do all the time. It's the thing with me. I, I know. Head tilt. But, um, but it is... It, it, it becomes like a bit of a running joke when I, I think with anything in life, it, sometimes if you didn't laugh, you would just cry continually and people's reaction becomes exactly that every time they say, are you okay? Okay, they tilt their head to the side, and you just think, just, I just don't ask me how I'm feeling, because that was one thing that I found is my friends didn't really know what to say. You know, they'd never experienced it. They, they couldn't help. It was no one could help. It, it happened, and so everyone just kind of looks at you and tilts their heads and says, "How are you feeling?" And it's probably the one time in your life when you are not equipped to to say out loud how you are feeling because you can't even put it into words it's such a pointless question how you feel and you can't can't answer i'm all right yeah Yeah. what do you say what do i say do i lie and do what all british people say and say yeah fine how are you because that's what we do isn't it and because i'm not fine do i just say my baby's just died i feel utterly broken and really crap and actually so it just there's no good question to ask I think but it's an interesting thing though isn't it because I think you we spoke out before and uh, and you've said to me how someone can ask you about your grandparents and you can say actually you know I've just lost my gran and they'll be like oh I'm so sorry and the conversation carries on whereas if someone asks you about if you're a mum and you say actually yes uh, but unfortunately Teddy died the conversation sort of ends you see the panic on their faces and they don't know what to do and that's why we're having this chat that's why we do so much work with Tommy's because we want those conversations to not end there yeah mm. but people don't know like how do you continue that conversation it's only through working with Tommy's and meeting you Michelle that actually you love hearing all his name I love it see, I absolutely love it but this so is... many people would naturally kind of think it's such a bad thing that's happened and you don't want to you don't want to talk about it we mustn't talk about yeah. it and I think we're programmed aren't we society has taught us that for decades and decades that it's a it's an okay subject and it is so terrifying it is so unthinkable we were Mm. saying on the way over here you know I think that's why our friends didn't know what to say and couldn't quite help because your mind never quite lets you go to that place that is totally unthinkable and totally dark and you know you can't fathom what that might feel like so it doesn't allow you to step into that place as a friend, you're very helpless trying to help somebody who that's just happened to. And I think that was why, for me, when I felt like I was losing my mind because n- nobody understood me, and I, you know, I turned to Instagram for very different reasons for f- to be able to scroll through an, a feed of nice interiors or whatever it was I wanted to look at that day. And I think because I'd shared photos of Teddy and link them to our fundraising. I mean, say what you want about that Instagram algorithm, but on that day, it knew what it was doing because in my suggested pops up a photograph and it was a a wall and it had graffiti and it said London. I remember that day. Oh my God, I remember that day. And Michelle had written a post about how she'd just gone back into 
re-entered the world and how difficult it was and how she couldn't walk down the street without wearing sunglasses. And she was surrounded by pregnant women and she didn't know what to do. She wanted to run screaming. And I just remember thinking, that's me. That This woman is writing... And my heart was literally in my throat because I thought she lives in London. She's not too far. You know, be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, desperate or what? Um, And I could see people commenting and they'd lost babies too. And I was thinking, what is this world that I've just, you know, scratched the surface of? And I remember thinking, sod it, I'm going to say something. So I just commented and said, you know, I've just read about all of them. I'm going through this journey at the moment too and it sucks and, you know, I think I just said something like, hang in there because I wanted to say something positive for her because I could see her words and see how much she was hurting. And within a couple of minutes she replied to me and later that day you sent me a message and said, we're going to start a WhatsApp group, this might not be your thing, I know I don't know you but do you want in? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> more than you could ever know, I want in. And, you know, that that for me was the moment, probably the tipping point between going from nobody understands me, nobody's going to get this, I am the only one that this mm. has ever happened to, to thank God somebody gets it. You don't ever want any of your friends to get it. And it, it's just sad that there are other women out there who do get it because they've lived through it. But to have them and to have them to talk to and to, you know, moan to quite often or or say the things that you can't say in front of your friends because you feel like you're going mental um, and they won't understand, I can say it to these guys and they're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> it just goes to show as well the power of social media. It's, it's you know, rubbish so much. There's so much negativity around it. But actually, if you get in the right community, it's amazing. And for you girls, it's literally brought you so close together. I mean, it's a life changer. What made you start sharing in the first place, Michelle? I can't remember a specific moment. Those months feel quite hazy. I think what happened was that in those early weeks after Orla died, Andy and I, we were thinking about how are we going to survive this? And we we decided together we were going to go away. We're going to go away for a few months. Obviously, I was on maternity leave with no baby. He was able to take some time off and we decided to go away. And Andy wanted to do a bike ride from Canada to Mexico. Um, just yeah, just one of those things. You might like Andy. <laughs> Nothing big. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, um, I'm not going to cycle because I can't really ride a bike. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll sort of I'll come and drive, and you know, this will be an adventure together. And then we thought, oh, okay, I wonder whether we could raise some money. I wonder whether we could do it as a fundraising thing. And and then I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe social media is the way to go to do that. Maybe I could you know get some help and guidance on how do you use social media for good stuff and somehow that's how it all came about and it all does feel very hazy and I can't really remember I just can't really remember vividly that time because I think I mean you just started typing yeah I mean I think it was literally just survival it's like I needed to to put the words out there to say my baby died oh my baby actually died and I'm still living it was this weird I was thinking about this the other day this weird sort of you feel like you're most weak and you're most broken and also you're most strong and powerful both at the same time because you think this awful thing's just happened and I'm still breathing I'm still still standing standing like language and talking and sharing I know I know that that is is what makes a difference and I and I think both of your posts are incredible 
that's why I think it's so important that people share. You know, you've had Esme and and you're talking now about postnatal depression, but also that guilt and everything that comes of mm. thinking about Orla. I just feel like get on those blogs, even if it's not something that you've experienced before, read about what other people go through because mm. it's so important. It, it, the effect is kind of long-standing it's not um it's not something that you just kind of get over or move on from no. and, and it does impact on later things like having other babies and I was very lucky I had Esme very quickly but actually what it meant was that my grief was sort of put on hold mm. and it all came out when when she was here and I suddenly was you know at home and I couldn't do all the things that I could do to manage my grief and it all came spilling out but I think you you don't just lose a baby you lose you lose the whole future I actually I remember although I found babies very difficult I found children very difficult as well because I all I could think was Orla's never going to be three she's never going to be four I'm never going to hear what her voice sounds like I wonder what you know what kind of things she would have been into and that doesn't stop. Like, I'll always wonder that because every baby's do. I'm sure your two boys are really different in their sort of characters. And mm. having Esme doesn't take away from what I still wonder about. I, yeah, I really wonder, would she have had blonde it stays, hair? Or... It stays with you. I was having this conversation with my mum a few weeks ago. Now I look at toddlers and I think, oh, I wonder if, I wonder if Teddy would have been about that size. I wonder mm. if... You know, he would have looked like that. I wonder if he would have been the kid screaming in the restaurant, throwing things around that everyone's saying. Of course not. He would have been an angel, just for the record, obviously. Uh, you know, and that's the other thing about we, we, I guess we probably have developed quite a dark sense of humour in the fact that when your child does die, I mean, that there aren't many good good pointers you can pull from it. But, I mean, you can certainly put them up on a pedestal and pretend that they would have been an absolute, you know. And we do, don't we? We joke, we joke about it. And I think you kind of have to have to do that. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure 18 years down the line, it's going to be people mm. at university that make yeah. me think, oh... I wonder if Teddy would have gone to university. And it, it never stops. The mm. the ripples go out so far and wide, further and wider than you could you could ever imagine. And not just for us either, I think for our families mm. and our friends. What advice, or if you could offer any words, to the families and the friends of people going through it, what would you say to them? I think everyone is so different yeah. in what they need and, and their grief and... I know what I need now is probably very different than what I needed before. I think continuing to include the baby mm. forever, you know, sort of acknowledging birthdays and Christmases and talking about them and wondering about them and sharing when you think about them because I don't doubt for a minute that everyone in my family and my friends, they think about all of for various, various different reasons and... Often, you know, nice little things like, oh, I was, you know, shopping and I saw an Orla Keeley, yeah. you know, mug or whatever, and it made me think of Orla and those sorts of things. It's you know, just talk, talk about her. Tell me that you're thinking about her because the further we go away from their birth, yeah. the more I feel like sometimes she's becoming like a figment of my imagination. Like, did did she really exist? Did she yeah. really exist? And she exists because we talk about her, yeah. and that's I think that's what I would say is just talk and it's just nice to know when people aren't afraid to say their names out loud and it makes me think they still see me as a mum it's not necessarily the bereaved parents themselves who get in touch with me it is the sisters yeah. the friends the every week every few days I get 
a message. My friend's in hospital. She's just found out her daughter's going to be stillborn. Help me. What do I say? What do I do? Do I send anything? Do I not send anything? Do I... And and then they're punched out in a moment of of utter, I have got no idea Mm. what to do. And I always come back with, you know, the same, just please don't not say anything, please. Mm. Even if you haven't got the right words, which I'm sure you don't feel like you have the right words because none of us do, there aren't any right words to say. I mean, just send a WhatsApp with a load of hearts in it. I mean, send a pigeon, I don't care. Just send something Mm. that shows that person that you are acknowledging that they are have just lost their child and they are having the utterly single most awful moment of their life and that when they need you, doesn't matter when that is, if that's two weeks or two years down the line, you are there and you are ready and you will welcome them with open arms because you don't equally, although I think we want you want to know that somebody is there and your friends are thinking of you, there's never a worse time to be suffocated mm. <laughs> because because life is so suffocating. Yeah. Life is so noisy and terrifying. The last thing you need is your phone permanently. You know, we need to come and see you. We need to come and see you. I need to see you. I need to... I think it comes about their need rather than yours I I definitely had people said I I need to I just need to see you and like for some people I wanted to see them and I was like yes I need to see you too but some for some people it was like oh this just feels a bit a bit odd because I wouldn't have seen you otherwise so this does feel a bit strange I think the thing that actually that I would say is whatever you do whatever you say say just say out loud what you're kind of thinking like what your thought process is it's like I've got some very lovely thoughtful friends like a particular psychologist who think an awful lot anyway yeah. um and uh, actually something that really I found very very helpful was someone saying like I wanted to buy you this I've decided to buy you this I don't know if it's the right thing or not this is what I was thinking you might not agree but here it is and if it and if you if it's right or wrong then you tell me and and it was just helpful knowing what her thought process was like she didn't know whether it was helpful or not and she told me I don't know I don't know if it is but I'm going to do it anyway and I found that I found that quite liberating that I could just say yes that's helpful no that's not helpful they gave me the permission to say whether I liked it or not or it was helpful or not I didn't have to kind of get up the courage to say oh when you did that that was really difficult or awkward or I didn't need that or that was unhelpful they were able to say and just yeah they led me into that to say yeah well it's kind of even before coming on here last night I messaged you both and was like I'm going to be clumsy I'm going to be clumsy in my wording because it's not something that I've spoken about before, but I feel passionate about the fact that it's a conversation that has to be had. I want, I feel, I feel like want this podcast to exist and to talk about Teddy and Orla. But there is that thing of you don't want to say the wrong thing and you don't want to offend, mm. but actually just trying to have that conversation is possibly the better thing rather than kind of going, I don't know, I don't know, and just closing yeah. yourself no- off. Nothing's more deafening than silence yeah. is what I found I would have crumbled if I thought I was on my own. Yeah. I wouldn't be sat here, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much for being sat here and being on this podcast. We end each episode finishing three sentences. Uh, so the first one is, being a mum means? Being proud of that child and what you've brought into the world and what you've, you know, what you've become and what you've done because ours is quite a different narrative of motherhood. Yeah. But it still makes me feel really proud that Teddy made me a mum. And the legacy that you've continued, you know. You've both raised an unbelievable amount for charity in their names. Thank you. 
It means loving fiercely, whether they're in your arms or they're not. It's something that is, it's in your heart. The next one is since having children, I. I'm an emotional wreck. (laughs) (laughs) And that is something that never leaves. End of story. (laughs) I think I have learnt more about myself than I had in all of my life up until that date. And the final one is I'm happy when. I'm happy when people say Teddy's name out loud. I would say the same. I think I'm happy when my family is acknowledging that includes all the... Thank you. Thank you for being so open and honest. I've not been shy in saying that I thought this was going to be a really difficult one. We have all cried. I have done many head tilts, but it's a natural thing for me, I promise. I would have done it. Whoever was in the room, I would have tilted my head. It becomes a nervous thing. As soon as you say don't do it, you can't stop yourself. I tilt my head and I nod. It's what I do. Um, But please go and check out the ladies' blog. It's Feathering the Empty Nest and Dear Orla. They're both amazing uh, and really fascinating reads. You know, whatever you've gone through in life, I think they are really insightful and emotional, but uh, really important to read. Thank you, ladies. Thank Thank you you for having us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.